Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. The not-so-subtle joke has always been that the two things that were inevitable are death and taxes. And while efforts are always front and center to conquer disease and extend our life, the inevitability of death has always loomed large. Even efforts to regenerate life and the fascination with cryogenics acknowledge the idea of death. Now a whole new group of scientists are trying to defy the very evolutionary idea of death itself. The funny thing is that it's not happening in the great halls of medicine, not at NIH or Cleveland or Mayo Clinic or our great research hospitals, but in Silicon Valley, where a group of wealthy boomers, not unlike aging politicians, I guess, will do anything to avoid stepping aside. My guest today, author and journalist Chip Walters, writes about this in his new book, Immortality, Inc. Chip Walters is a science journalist, filmmaker, and former CNN bureau chief. His books include The Last Ape Standing and Thumbs, Toes, and Tears. His writing has appeared in numerous publications, including The Economist and The Wall Street Journal. And it is my pleasure to welcome Chip Walter here to talk about Immortality, Inc., Renegade Science, Silicon Valley Billions, and the Quest to Live Forever. Chip, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a delight to have you here. Why is this effort taking place and really being driven by Silicon Valley more than what we might consider traditional medical venues? That's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think partly the academic world you know, tends not to, um, you know, spend the money to, to attempt, you know, really big problems like this. Uh, this is obviously one of the most difficult biological problems you could imagine. Uh, also, strangely enough, the, the federal uh, or, or the FDA doesn't consider aging a disease. Uh, and, I, and I guess most of us don't really think about it that way. Um, and, and so it, it took a couple of people that both had the money and the will to, uh, to step outside the box and, and say, why don't we just leap over all the other diseases that we're trying to, to eliminate and eliminate the one disease that seems to cause us the most problems, and that's aging. And really, Ray Kurzweil, as you talk about, was was at the forefront of this. He was the one that really said, let's do this. Maybe there is some way to 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 really address this issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, Ray is is well known for going after uh, big problems. And uh, and he's been a very successful entrepreneur and inventor. Uh, And so, yeah, a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, he was really already thinking hard about whether or not we had to age. And, uh, and I think he made some interesting, you know, um, well, you know, he made a good case for a scientific case for how this might be possible. Now, he's an engineer. He's not a biologist or, or a doctor, uh, but, you know, that's the way he thinks. And, and he kind of laid a lot out in, and he had a big effect on Silicon Valley. He's been very influential on other thinkers in Silicon Valley, like Larry Page at Google. How much of this is driven by ego to some extent, the idea of, of just wanting these guys wanting to live forever? Well, you know, actually, whenever I spoke with, we can get into the characters more, but I would say Ray is the only one that actually said, you know, well, maybe Aubrey de Grey as well, you know, who said, I personally intend to live 
you know, forever. I, I'm, I'm not going, I'm going to find a way to uh, stop aging. Uh, people like Art Levinson, who's the chairman of Apple, is in, involved, and Craig Venter, you know, they, they want to simply solve the problem. Uh, they, they see, and Aubrey de Grey does as well, you know, they simply believe that this is something that's killing, you know, 150,000 people a day, and uh, it, it, we should stop it. And talk a little bit about the approach, how they're looking at the idea of death almost as, as a disease that can be cured. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's, a, that's precisely the way they're looking at it. I mean, I, I suppose we all sort of think, well, you know, I get, I, I age, and therefore, uh, you know, that's, that's just what happens. It's, it's the natural sort of thing that happens. But, but the truth is, if you truly understand and get a, can get a handle on the biology of aging and even maybe understand the evolutionary reasons why we age in the first place, then it is a biological problem. And you could look at it as an incredibly complex disease, but a disease nevertheless, and, you know, get to the bottom of it. And you can, you, these folks are all tackling it in different ways, but they are making progress. And talk about the evolutionary aspect of it, because really it's evolution that sets the stage for the aging process. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Every animal seems to have, every living thing seems to have some kind of uh, uh, an age limit. Uh, although, you know, one of the things that came up in the course of writing the book is research that discovered that some animals don't seem to actually age. They do die. I mean, death will get everybody eventually if it's a lightning strike or a bus hitting you or something like that. But uh, certain animals simply seem to defy aging. And that was one of the reasons why uh, at Calico, for example, uh, the company that was largely funded by Google, you know, began to look at the possibility that, you know, if, if that can happen in nature, uh, and if, if evolution hasn't required that everything age, then maybe we should find out what, you know, is happening in the, those animals' DNA and see if we can do the same thing in humans. And what has the research to date shown in that regard? Well, there are these other animals. Uh, you know, Calico has found that, uh, for example, naked, naked mole rats, which I have to tell you are really some of the ugliest animals you've ever seen, but they're, they're little small rodents. Uh, and they don't seem to, to age. Uh, they, they live 30, 35 years, whereas your average rodent lives three. Um, one of the interesting things that first came up in my discussions with uh, Levinson and the people at Calico was they started looking at uh, an animal called orange roughy. Uh, you know, most of us probably have, have uh, bought and eaten orange roughy, but they're very similar to another fish, perch. And uh, perch, again, they die after about three years. Orange roughy lived 300 years. Uh, bowhead whales uh, lived over 200 years. Uh, the uh, Greenland shark lives 500 years. These are animals that are, you know, as, as far as we can see, they don't get cancer. They, they seem to just kind of regenerate the cells in their bodies and continue to live until something else gets them. And what has been the approach, the scientific approach, in going about this? Well, there's a whole lot of different approaches that have been taking place. I mean, at Calico, uh, they're really trying to under, understand the underlying reasons why we age. What, 
you know, master switches cause any animal, particularly humans, to age? Uh, and are there ways to flip those genetic switches to stop it? Uh, at uh, Bob Hariri, uh, who's a neuroscientist at Cellularity, is one of the companies that, that I talk about in the book. Uh, he is a stem cell expert. So what he's trying to do is, you know, get a handle on how we can turn the what are called pluripotent stem cells, the, the kind of stem cells that can become any cell in your body and use those to um, be either injected into the body or, or and, and pills and, and, and create medicines that can recharge certain parts of the body. So if you have a uh, you know, bad arthritis to repair your knees or your back, uh, to repair organs that are damaged. If your heart is failing to boost that, you know, rather than opening people up and trying to do dangerous surgery. Um, and I, I believe that those are some of the earliest, uh, kind of the, the first wave that we're going to see and, and really extending life in a way that we're healthy. We're not just continuing to live, you know, but we're actually healthier. Um, uh, Craig Venter, who, you know, is one of the characters in the book and was key in sequencing the first human genome, he believes that we need to get as much information as we can possibly get about the human genome. So he, he'd been working on trying to get a million sequenced, integrated human genomes so you could really understand what all of those switches in our genetics are telling us that they do every day. You know, I mean... Our genes run everything about us uh, on a daily basis, and they do millions, billions of things, you know, every day. He wanted to really try to, he wants to really try to understand, you know, what's going on, what are all those interactions, and if we can truly understand it, then we can figure out how to slow and eventually reverse aging. Is there an inherent conflict that has evolved at all? between the kind of work that, that these guys and their surrogates are doing and the more traditional medical establishment? Well, again, one of the problems that, uh, you know, academic medicine has with this is, first of all, they don't generally get handed a billion and a half dollars <laughs> and all the time and resources that they want. I mean, it might get a few million dollars here or there uh, to really go after a problem. Uh, so I think that's that's one of the issues. One of the other issues, as, as I mentioned, is it's not considered, uh, you know, it's not considered a disease. So, you know, in, in academic medicine, you kind of have to look at a particular specific problem. So it might be a particular kind of cancer or it might be something like uh, sarcopenia, which is uh, muscle, muscle loss uh, or muscle wasting disease, you know. But everyone eventually gets sarcopenia because as you age, you begin to lose muscle mass. So some scientists, uh, both in the academic community and outside the academic community, are looking at issues like that. They're trying to say, well, okay, let's see if we can cure sarcopenia. We may help people that have this disease, but we also could help slow aging uh, if we could solve that disease. Um, the, the same thing is there, there are cells in the body that just kind of wear out and become what are called senescent. And, uh, and that means they basically are like zombies and they, they, they neither die nor, uh, and regenerate nor, you know, really operate very, very well. So, so all they do is damage, you know, are there ways that we can go in and tag all the senescent cells and get rid of them? And there are some people that are working on that, but again, they, 
they're, they're, they really have to tackle it in the pharmaceutical industry. No one's going to really back something if you can't get an FDA trial and, and move the trial forward. You know, it's just, that's just the way the system works. Um, but in cases like uh, Human Longevity Inc., <clears throat> Craig Venter's company, and, uh, you know, um, Calico, uh, Art Levinson's company, they can say, well, we've got the money. We're just going to solve the problem the way we think that we think we need to solve it. In a way, it's kind of the ultimate inequality in that all of this is being done with private resources and those that, that arguably might have access to the success of any of it would be those that, that could afford it. Yeah, um, well, I, I try to address that in the uh, in, in the book because I think one of the, the first concerns that anyone has is, great, this is terrific for rich people, um, but it's really not going to be very helpful to me. I think ultimately, though, and particularly in the case of, and, and, and I also believe, I mean, there's been, you know, an acceleration in the number of companies that are now getting into this business because obviously it's, it's a huge market. So if you, if you solve aging, you know, whoever, whoever can in any way redu reduce the pain that people feel in aging or, uh, or actually solve the problem will make a lots of money. Um, <clears throat> but I, and, and I do think there are major incentives for, uh, for reducing the cost of, of helping people live longer. Insurance companies, for example, really don't want to pay lots of money for people to get ill. They want them to stay healthy. They'll, they'll do much better if that's the case. Um, but so, you know, it's a, complex, it's a complex issue. I mean, if you take things like the automobile or television or radio or computers, or cell phones, they were all incredibly expensive at the beginning, uh, and mostly they didn't work very well. Uh, but eventually, as they got better and more and more people bought them, then the price started to drop. In the case of the human genome, 20 years ago, it cost $3 billion to, to sequence one human genome. Uh, you can now get your genome sequenced for $1,000, and sometimes you can get it for free because your doctor will just say, we need to have your genome sequenced. So I do think that eventually uh, costs will drop, and I think that they'll drop pretty fast. And I think it'll be normal, for example, in the next couple of years for everyone to have their genome sequenced. Uh, so hopefully this isn't going to be just for the rich, although I'm sure there are people out there that are rich that are trying to just for their own personal gain, you know, keep themselves alive and really don't care if anyone else does or not. Is there a fundamental difference of approach here? For a long time, it was always thought that so much of the research into specific diseases and, and cancers, I suppose, most specifically, that, that if that research could be successful, if we could understand what caused those diseases and ultimately how to cure them, that that would give us insight into dealing with and maybe stopping the aging process. This is approaching it from a kind of different perspective, looking at the aging process first and foremost. Yeah, it kind of flips the model, if you think about it, because the, most people, when they get, let's take cancer as an example, most people, if they get cancer, get it because they're aging. Uh, the, the vast majority of, I mean, of course, we hear about children that get cancer, and, and that, that does happen, but uh, it's far more rare, uh, mostly we get the diseases that we get, whether it's heart disease or cancer or diabetes, 
you know, because we're getting older. It happens when you get past the age 60, 65. Um, so the idea here is that if you can solve the underlying reasons why we're aging, then you could vastly reduce all of the number of diseases that we get when we age. So again, you, you know, it would, you know, could potentially save, uh, you know, millions of lives because you're not getting heart disease. Uh, you're not getting diabetes. You're not getting uh, cancers. How successful have these efforts been to date? Um, well, it's not like there's been a silver bullet, you know, that, uh, that's been found. Uh, I think that there, here's why I think they're making progress. I think, first of all, we're getting a much, much deeper, better understanding of the human genome. And, and we have very powerful uh, computing systems that are being developed to better understand how the, the, the genome works. An example that, came, that comes up in the book is uh, with the creation of Human Longevity Inc., uh, Craig Venture's company, he said at the beginning, he said, I want you, he got together with all of his, all, all of his computer scientists and he said, I want you to be able to tell me what somebody looks like based only on their genome. I don't want to see you take any pictures of them. I don't want, I, I, I want no other information except a human genome. And they all told him he was crazy. And he said, well, go, go, go for it. It took them eight months. Uh, and they, they broke the cloud according to, to, uh, <laughs> Venter, you know, and just because they were dumping so much data into this. And at the end of it, Amazingly, they created remarkably uh, accurate images of the way people look. So the point is that the information in your genome is there. You know, you just have to, you know, really get the right data, get the right computing power, put enough money into it, and eventually you will get to the bottom of what makes the genome tick. Uh, or at least you'll have, let's put it this way, probably a better way to put it is you'll have a much, much better understanding of it. So I think that that's moving forward. But I think, as I mentioned, I think the first wave is going to be uh, in stem cell therapy uh, because basically what that does is it boosts what the body automatically already wants to do. You don't need to understand. I mean, it's helpful to understand more about the genome, uh, but it doesn't require that you truly uh, have to, understand every little thing about the, the, the genome in order to make progress. Uh, Cellularity and uh, Bob Hariri's company, he, he's the guy that first learned that placental stem cells are uh, unique. And placental stem cells come from, from the placenta. And, uh, and it turns out that mostly whenever a child is born, that placenta is just tossed in the garbage. And uh, Hariri said, well, wait a second, let's take a look at that. And what he discovered was they're just loaded with pluripotent stem cells. And so you, you have this reservoir of, of stem cells that could be used for anyone. It would create no immune problems, no reactions. Um, you just have to figure out how to create the medicines for it. And he has gotten th over $300 million to develop those medicines. 
And uh, we're already starting to see some advances uh, in stem cell therapy. People's shoulders are being repaired. People's knees are being repaired. Uh, and even some hearts are being repaired. Uh, so I think that's where we'll start to see some advances. And what that's going to do is it's going to buy time uh, until some of these other advances uh, in the human genome and then the underlying evolutionary reasons why we age uh, are advanced. And I think computing power is going to be the thing that drives a lot of that. And, and you know, you have to do good science. You have to, I mean, one of the things that Art Levinson said from the beginning when Calico started was he said, we're just going to go back to ground zero here. We're, we're not going to build on anything else that's been done because, frankly, I don't think really good work has been done. Uh, and, and so, you know, they have over 100 scientists that are, that are on it and they're working every day at it. Isn't one of the biggest problems just the fundamental evolutionary idea that we are built to age? Yeah. Well, you know... It's a, it's a philosophical, in some ways, philosophical question, but it's definitely a biological question. For some reason, long, long ago, evolution sort of decided, I mean, evolution doesn't really decide, but the forces that shape evolution, for some reason, decided, look, rather than keep one animal alive indefinitely by com continually, you know, rebuilding it, uh, kind of buffing it up all the time, we're just going to let it live for a while, basically long enough for it to create another version of itself and then die. And, and that's what happens. You know, uh, now we are in this remarkable place. And this is really why I wrote the book, because I asked myself, are we in a place in human history, in, in natural history, where a creature can actually figure out how to change its own evolutionary destiny. You know, are we at that place in human history where we're going to do something that extraordinary? And, and so I, I decided, well, let's see if that's true and see if we can track these people down and see what they're up to and why they're up to it and tell that story. Because to me, it's just a really, really good tale. How much conversation is there among all of these people that, that you've mentioned, that you've talked to in, in the course of research on, and reporting this book, about the broader sociological and moral consequences of this effort? Uh, it depends on who you're talking to. Um, someone like Ray Kurzweil, who's a great optimist and believer that human intelligence and human technology can solve virtually any problem, uh, and he's tried to, you know, create those advances himself. He believes that we will ultimately solve problems like overpopulation, um, like uh, the way we're da we're damaging the planet, uh, how we handle disease. You know, that that we're a smart species and that we can figure it out. Um, someone like Art Levinson, who is a microbiologist. Uh, by training and, uh, you know, was also the CEO and chairman of Genentech, the first biotechnology company. I asked him about it and he said, you know, my job as a scientist is to solve the problem. Uh, he said, I, I can't speak for the rest of society and it's really not my place to speak for the rest of society. Society itself has to, to decide you know, what its priorities are, he said. But what I'm focused on is trying to solve this particular problem. Um, and, and 
that's why they've got over 100 people working on it. Um, <clears throat> Craig Venter kind of half-kiddingly said, well, I guess we're going to just have to neuter half the men in the world. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't think that he met himself, and I also don't think that he really <laughs> expects that to happen. But, you know, it's, it's one way to reduce the population problem. Um, you know, but you can still consider, you know, continue to live a long time. So, you know, I don't think it, it's always a big question that comes up. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was because in the course of, of writing it, I realized, oh, my God, I think these guys are really going to pull this off. And if they do, it's going to capsize all of human society. So maybe we better start to think about this, you know, and think about how we're going to handle it as a society. I don't really advocate one way or the other with it, but to me, it's a little bit like, it's a much more, uh, it has much more impact, but it's, it's a little bit like the invention of the car or the, the radio or all the other things that I mentioned. You know, these are things that were created once you could you could say nuclear power too you know once once pandora is out of the box it's out of the box you can't put it back in uh and i don't really think there are very many people that if you walk up, up to them and said you know i can help you live a, a better healthier life you know you're not going to be decrepit uh you're going to have energy you're going to be able to do things that you know you didn't think that you'd be able to do would you rather die uh i think most people will say no I'll, I'll go for living longer. I mean, we do it all the time. If you find a, 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 a cancer cure or something, we don't say, no, I'll pass on that. I'd rather die of cancer. You try to stop, you try to stop it and live as long as you can. So I think that's what's going to happen in society if, if, uh, if we begin to make advances like this. And, and so I hope that what, what, one of the things I hope that comes out of the book is we'll start to think about this. Which really begs the question as to whether or not all of these guys that are involved in this and spending billions of dollars and resources on it should carve out a small amount of those resources to create, whether it's think tanks or call it whatever you want, to begin to simultaneously study the broader consequences of this that go beyond just the medicine and the science. Right, right. No, I, I agree with that. Um, and, and uh, if, if I have the opportunity, I'll bring it up with the people that are in the book. Um, I don't think that right now people have started to think about it because I think it's just beginning to dawn on even them that this is a real possibility. Um, and unfortunately, human beings often wait until trouble <laughs> arrives, right. you know, and then we go, oh, my God, let's fix the problem, you know. Um, and I mean, look how well we're handling uh climate change. Uh, so we're still, we're still debating whether or not there is climate change. So I suppose we'll have a, some kind of debate at some point that says, ah, well, we're, not, we're not all going to live that long. You know, this isn't really going to happen. Uh, I mean, really, again, if you want to look at the facts, 100 years ago or 120 years ago in 1900, the average human lifespan was 47. It's now pushing 80. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people are living longer than that. So in a way, we're already facing the problem. Uh, so this, this would just accelerate it. Those that are working on this finally, what do they see and what is your sense of what kind of time horizon they're looking at? Well, when I first 
when I first sat down with Art Levinson about this, and I, you know, and by the way, all all the information about Calico, Google, and everything that's in the book is uh, exclusive to the book. Nobody else has ever spoken with Art Levinson or anybody at Calico about this. Um, but when I first started to speak with him, he said, and in fact, he told Larry Page this, and, and, and the meeting is is in the book too. He said, "This is an incredibly difficult problem. It could take us." We might get lucky and it happened in five years, but more likely 25, maybe a hundred years, maybe it'll never work. Uh, he did finally conclude in the course of while I was working on the book that yes, it, it can be done. Uh, aging can be solved from a biological point of view, um, which was a huge uh, breakthrough in itself. Um, but, you know, we, we, we just don't know how quickly it's going to happen again. What I think is that we're going to see a first wave uh, in stem cell therapy within the next four to five years. There might be a big breakthrough that takes place in the next few years. Arthur Levinson has intimated to me that they do have some trials that they are very enthusiastic about right now. Uh, exactly what those are isn't clear yet, but uh, perhaps we'll know soon. So I think, again, I think we're going to see some uh, serious breakthroughs. It's not like we're looking 50 years down the road. We're looking five years down the road. But it won't be a, a, a you know silver bullet. Chip Walter, the book is Immortality, Inc., Renegade Science, Silicon Valley Billions, and the Quest to Live Forever. Chip, I thank you so much for spending time with us. That was my pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Thank you.